Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's special episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Kyle Wallace with Buying AZ Homes, another juggernaut in the Phoenix market, and he's gonna share how he's been quietly wholesaling six to eight houses a month and keeping one or two as rentals. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires, so if you wanna join me in that mission, let's connect on Instagram at steve.trang. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up, and as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this, so here's all I ask is what it costs for you to listen to this show. I've been advised by a consultant that I need to get to 500 five-star reviews in iTunes to hit some of my crazy goals. So please do me a favor, go into iTunes, subscribe, give a five-star review, and if you can write what you like about the show, that would be even better. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Kyle to answer. You ready? Yep. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? I got into real estate in 2005. Uh, I'm a native out here, born and raised, and graduated high school in 2005. Knew that I did not want to go to college, and real estate seemed like the easiest thing to do. <laughs> you just skipped college? Yeah. No you didn't college. even try? Nope. Didn't All right. <laughs> so yeah. 2005. Uh, so that's before... Before the crash, tail end, I tell people it was like uh, the moment on the roller coaster when you're on the very, very top and you don't really feel like you're going up anymore, but you haven't fully started the decline. And so okay. that, that was October 2005 is when I got my license. Gotcha. And you just did? Buyer-seller. So spent the first three years of the business, um, buyer-seller transactions. You know, you were in the business uh, around that time. And 2007. That's, yeah, that's when inventory started to really build up. So there were a lot of houses on the market. There were a lot of agents in this space um, because 2001 through five, there was a big run up. So everybody mm -hmm. had their real estate license. Houses were trading super high, super fast. Um, and so trailing that, we had a huge amount of inventory on the market, uh, not as many buyers. Uh, loans started to get harder to get during that period of time. Um, and so, you know, I was 18, 19, 20 years old trying to convince people to use me as a real estate agent. And so, uh, yeah, just doing buyers. And then um, I actually got into the REO game for, for a quick minute. Did you? Mm -hmm. oh, I had no idea. So I can't even picture you. You know, I've known you for some time, but I didn't know you back then. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine you working with buyers and sellers. Yeah. What was that experience like? <laughs> You know, I had to do it. It was a means to an end. Um, I knew I wasn't going to do it forever, but, mm. um, you know, I, I've told people this before. I, I had a kid really young. If you want to find motivation, have a kid at 19. You yeah. really don't, you don't have an option. Failure isn't much of an option at that point. Right. You, you, you got to work and you got to make it work and you have to be successful. Gotcha. Okay. So then 2005, you're licensed, you're doing the deals and then you transitioned to REO? Yeah. So um, I actually went and worked for an REO agent. So mm -hmm. um, he had an account with Countrywide at the time, which was still a bank back then, and Chase and Bank of America. Mm -hmm. and was this Pete? No, this was uh, Steve Horn. Oh, okay. Yeah, who has since moved on to Texas. Right. Um, and so I came on, I was kind of his right-hand man, and that's that's got, that's what got me valuing properties. A lot of the, the people that are in the space today, they probably don't even know what the term BPO means. Mm -hmm. And I used to get to the office every day around 4.30 in the morning. I would print a list of 30 properties I was driving that day. I would drive all 30 properties, go back to the office, and then I would do a BPO on 30 different properties. So for people that don't know what BPO is? Broker price opinion. Right. Um, it's basically this, a cheap appraisal. It was a cheap appraisal for the bank. I was getting 10 to 20 bucks per BPO. So I was doing five to six days a week, 20 to 30 a day. 
um, and then listing the, the inventory with Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, we that That's what really got me ready for the investment side of the business because mm-hmm. I was having to take a look at an asset in current condition and then compare it to the market because every BPO you would have to have three comparable properties um, and value that asset for the bank and then they would tell you if they approve the list price or not. Right. Um, and that's really got what, what got me set up for, for valuing real estate really fast. So when were you doing the REO business? <sighs> Nine and ten, okay. uh, really uh, late 2008, 2009. And this is before you were at the auctions? Correct, before I was at the auctions. Okay, so yeah. you're working with buyers and sellers, mm-hmm. transition to work, listing properties for banks. Yep. And then? Auctions. Auctions. Because yeah, I I mean, I know you were at the courthouse, you, were, you had a bid service mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. So let's talk about the transition. From going for listing bank properties to auctions. Yeah, so Maricopa County, we were a non-judicial state with regards to foreclosures. So um, all the properties were getting foreclosed on at the courthouse, um, and back then we were seeing eighty sell to third parties. You know, sometimes a couple hundred a day were selling. Um, so the way that it would work is that my company would publish a list of properties every single afternoon, sometime between 2 and 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. It was an Excel spreadsheet. Um, we would publish a list of properties. We had some uh, formulas built into Excel that would kind of prioritize the next day's sales for us. So there'd be, call it 300 properties going to sale on a Tuesday. Monday at 3 in the afternoon, my company would generate a list, um, and then it would pick the top 30 to 50. Mm-hmm. And then I would manually go through those 30 to 50 every single night between you know, 6 and 9 p.m., put together my 10 to 15, and then we had property drivers that would go out the next morning between 6 and 9 in the morning, uh, record videos, take pictures, get us a drive report is what we called it. Um, And so those BPOs that I was doing really prepared me for the auction days. Um, And my company, we were not big by any means. We were buying two to five a week on average Mm -hmm. uh, for about three years. You know, there were some weeks we bought seven or eight, but on average we were two to five, but we, we weren't massive by any means. Um, what was the name of your company? I actually ran out under, um, under my brokerage. Yeah, so oh. I, I it, you know, the problem was a lot of bid services back then, they weren't licensed brokerages, mm-hmm. but they were representing clients uh, acquiring properties. So the Department of Real Estate actually came down on a lot of those companies. Yeah. So we decided just to open up a brokerage. So did that in early 2010. Well, before then, you were over at Bill's office for mm-hmm. Remax. Yep. I'm sure he was loving that. Yeah. <laughs> No, not at all. He encouraged me to start my own brokerage. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, because he was pretty much like, hey, get get out of here. Because we were we were running all the transactions through the brokerage, um, and they, they just weren't your typical file. You know, no. It wasn't an agency disclosure and contract and inspection report. Spuds. Yeah, no, it was just literally a bid receipt. Yeah. Um, and so we ran it all through the brokerage, and it, it was all fine, and we never had any issues. It was just they, they were very fast-moving transactions. If, if people aren't familiar, you would bid on a property on a Tuesday. You had to pay for it on Wednesday. So it was just yeah. very fast-moving. Yeah, so for you guys that don't know, like uh, when foreclosures are big and, or, or when auctions are big, and auctions are still around today, but you got to do 10,000 non refundable yeah. today. Yep. And the rest the next day by 5 p.m. tomorrow. Yep. Or you lost your $10,000. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. you had to have a $10,000 cashier's check. Uh, at the time of the winning bid, you had to sign it over to the trustee and mm-hmm. then figure out how to pay for the rest of it within 24 hours. And right. again, in the, I was 23 years old at this <laughs> point in time. Yeah. So you were acquiring properties or you were focused on the bid service? What was your focus at so that time? So the, the, most of what we bought were joint ventures. Mm-hmm. So I would go out and raise money, uh, put together an entity, and I would then represent our entity acquiring properties. We yeah. did the bid service more as an ancillary business, but the, the main service was there for, for myself to, to buy uh, and flip. Gotcha. So, cause I know like 
at that time, I want to say like posted properties, and I can't remember some of them other big ones, but they were charging two thousand to five thousand yeah. a pop. So yep. like you're doing, I guess two to five a week. I was doing two to five a week. We kept ninety percent of the inventory though yeah. for our, for ourselves to renovate and resell. Posted properties, they were buying thirty a day at mm-hmm. two to five thousand bucks a rip. Yeah, uh, they had a massive operation, but um, most of what we bought were were joint venture deals. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So and this is your. This is prepping you for the wholesale world, or you already wholesaling at this time? I wouldn't say I was wholesaling at that time. You know, there were plenty of times when you would buy a property on a Tuesday, and then the next day someone would approach you and say, hey, do you want to resell this property? Mm-hmm. Um, we did plenty of that. Um, so it wasn't wholesaling in the sense that we were getting properties under contract or buying properties and then putting them out to the masses. Mm-hmm. It was more of the small circle of guys who were going to the auctions. Maybe someone uh, didn't know a property was selling or they were going to bid on it and they couldn't drive it in time, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it certainly started to build my network of investors for Arizona. Gotcha. And around that time, you said when when, when did you start going to auctions? 10, 11, 12. Um, I bought my last property at auction in March 2013. And then I didn't buy anything actually until last month. I randomly bought one. Um, and so one of the things that we always heard about was that it was a good old boys network. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to buy at the trustee sale, they will bid you up to get you out of there. Yeah. Did you run into that? Uh-huh. So did talk about did it happen that. to me or did it? Did, did I it happen that? to you or did you? Oh, I guess both. Did you yeah, do anybody uh, else? Yes, yes and yes. Yeah, um, because there were guys, you know, again, I didn't go there until pretty late in the game, but by the time I was there, there were guys that had been bidding there since the late 90s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they didn't like that there was a big rush of, of new people coming in. But by the time I entered, there were plenty of companies around that that didn't happen too much. There were one-off scenarios where, you know, guys would bid each other up just for the sake of it. But mm-hmm. um, it wasn't as big as it was probably in 2008, nine is when that was happening a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're do and when you're bidding, did you stop because Blackstone came in? Because that's when we stopped buying at the trustee sales. It was like yeah. Blackstone was paying retail for everything of the yep. options. Yeah. Um, so what we were doing was everything that we were buying was for to buy and renovate. So mm-hmm. then when you had these large funds that came in that were funded with hundreds of millions of dollars, they could they could bid you up on everything because they were buying them for rental purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there just wasn't a spread out here anymore um, at that point in time. Me and my two business partners were trying to figure out you know what direction do we want to go. And we decided to look at other states, but we didn't want to do anything where it would take a full day of travel. So essentially we were looking at Southern California, Nevada, Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico. At that point in time, I don't know if you remember or not, but Nevada actually issued a stay on foreclosures. So they weren't, yeah, they actually, the the state wasn't allowing any foreclosures. Um, So Nevada was out, that was like a two to three year period where they weren't foreclosing. Um, So we ended up going to Denver, Colorado and uh, we bought and resold about 60 homes in the Colorado market. Um, and actually we ended up, or I ended up bringing uh, a couple different funds up to that market because what I noticed was we were still buying properties in Colorado in the high ones. So, mm-hmm. you know, 160 to 220 range um, as to where there, there weren't, there weren't the buy and hold funds. So as I was actually working with a buy and hold fund uh, out of California, they were in seven or eight markets at the time. Um, and they were pretty heavy buyers in Arizona and I sold them quite a few properties. Yeah. And um, I was dealing with their regional manager brought them out to Colorado. Um, and I was only in Colorado three to five days a month, um, but brought them out there, toured them around uh, the five counties surrounding Denver. And at that point in time, um, I had a realtor who was working for me up there, a Keller Williams agent. And uh, we convinced them to start 
to at least look at the market and hey, you know, I think mm. I think your the returns that you're going to get here are actually better than Phoenix because in Phoenix there were seven or eight uh, really large buyers out there yeah. or out here, and there weren't any in Denver. And uh, every market that this specific fund went into, they set up a brokerage. So all their acquisitions and management were in-house. And somehow, I don't even really know how, but we convinced them to not set up a brokerage. And so between myself and my assistant in Scottsdale at the time, and my one agent in Colorado, we represented um, this fund on just under 400 purchases wow. in under 13, 14 months. Wow. And my agent in Colorado, he, he never got dressed. I mean, he, he was sitting in his pajamas all day writing offers. And I mean, if it works, it was a quick run, but it was a, yeah, it was a fun, good run. Gotcha. So then when did you start actively wholesaling? Direct to seller. Direct to seller in Arizona was 2014. So I think I oh. entered that a little bit sooner than, than most people. Mm -hmm. It was late 2014, really started it in 15. Um, didn't really know how we were going to get properties or what to do. I knew I didn't want to do pay-per-click advertising. At that point in time, I, I still owned the brokerage. So we were already using Mojo for mm -hmm. our dialing system. So we thought, well, you know, we're calling people, trying to get their listings, doing circle prospecting. Maybe we can see if people want to just get a cash offer. Mm -hmm. um, then in mid 2015, one of my agents said, hey, I've got a guy who I think would be a good sales rep. Um, so I met up with him. He has door knocked and sold something, alarm systems, dish network, some TV service, you know, uh, what are those old people phones? Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the, the name <laughs> of the phone. Don't like the bracelets? No, those, phone, <laughs> those phones with the big keypads on them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Jitterbugs. Yeah. He sold something in 42 states. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was mid 2015. And I said, hey, I, you know, I don't think anybody door knocks to try to buy real estate. So let's let's go that route. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, you know, what, what would be successful? And I was like, honestly, man, if we buy one house a month, I think that would just be crazy. Yeah. And um, in the first year we did 82. Wow. And he built his big thing was uh, these these alarm companies and, and solar companies would fly him out to random city, Mississippi. He would build up a door knocking team for them. Then they'd fly him to Tennessee and just all over the place. So his specialty was kind of recruiting younger kids, getting them built up to do mm -hmm. the door knocking system, uh, going out door knocking and selling. And it was, I mean, in 15, 16 and 17, it was just, I was still dumbfounded that door knocking was getting us good deals. Well, yeah, it's crazy because you and I, uh, we, when we when I moved into my my uh, brokerage suite, like you know, I started studying homes real 2013. Mm -hmm. and I was like, all right, I found this perfect location. It's gonna be great. And then I move in and I look across, like freaking momentum's right over here. Yeah, I'm my office is right next to Kyle's. Yep. It's like, oh, this sucks. Lucky guy. <laughs> so, all right, so you were doing the door knocking thing mm -hmm. in 2013 or uh, 14, 15, 16. Still do it, but yeah, still do it. Yeah. And then so you're 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 tying these up. And that's when you were wholesaling them. That is when I was wholesaling. Yeah, um, and I was still flipping at the time too. Um, you know, the, I got really burnt out on flipping because between 2010 and 13, 10 and 14, between Arizona and Colorado, we bought and renovated and sold over 600 houses. So mm -hmm. now I just I can't stand flipping. It's just. You but know, it should have been a science it's at good. that point. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was still a headache. I mean, you're yeah. still managing crews. You're still dealing with contractors. Um, and it, it just. It, I just got burnt out on mm -hmm. it. I just did a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in 15, 16, 17, we were doing, um, still doing some flipping, um, but mainly wholesaling at that time. Yeah. Um, and you do something a little bit different because, you know, we're all in the Phoenix market mm -hmm. and we all do pretty well, mm -hmm. but your fees are, is higher mm -hmm. than most other people's fees. Yeah. What would you attribute that to? 
we don't have a lot of competition on our doors. Um, you know, if, if somebody's calling a list of 90 day lates, mm-hmm. you're probably not the only one, especially if you're in the Maricopa County, you're yeah. probably one of a hundred people that are calling them. Mm-hmm. Um, we door knock in neighborhoods that are, you know, we buy a lot of really rough houses. I know some people say they buy rough houses. Like we've, we deal with really, really rough stuff. Um, I mean, we were on ABC one time for a property that we bought. Yeah. Uh, Nate was telling me about that. Yeah. Kyle hero, local hero. Yeah. I was like, Wow, yeah. they're really desperate for news. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> so, mean, the house the house was half burnt down. It was a meth house. Um, I mean, the doors were held up with like boards and nails. It was it was really bad. So we buy really really rough inventory. So why were you in the news on that one? I didn't ever even got to watch the video. So we were dealing with the seller. They ended up um, not selling us the house. They just kind of sat on it. I was actually watching like game five of the NBA Finals. Oh, this was two or three years ago. I don't remember when. And uh, there was a news story and it was about a property in the West Valley where uh, the neighbors had actually set up cameras just focused on this one property because there were guys showing up with hammers, breaking windows, uh, dogs. There were in one given day, I think there were like 47 cars that visited the house. There were people using the bathroom all over the front yard. And so the the reason that these neighbors set up cameras was like, hey, we, we need to get these guys out of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they got ABC 15 to do a story on it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've been in that house. And so I text my my guy, Andrew, and I'm like, hey, is this, watch the news, check this out. And he's like, yeah, we, we've dealt with them. So I said, all right, call him. So the next morning we call and we're like, hey, here's the deal. Like, you've already been dealing with us. We're going to give you a good offer on the house. You, you essentially have to sell. Like, you're going to get forced to sell now. Um, so we end up uh, driving to the the guy's rehab facility that he was at, um, bought that house, and then the neighbors were like so thankful. Mm-hmm. They ended up talking to ABC 15. They said, "Hey, this guy's buying the property." Um, so then ABC 15 did a did a story on us about it. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a funny one. All right, so that's a rough house. Mm-hmm. What are some other examples? Burned down properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we deal a lot with properties that have fires. Um, we deal a lot. We actually get a lot of referrals from, um, what is it, the Arizona, uh, uh, I can't remember the, the department. Any, I, I can't remember the name of it. Um, properties where you have someone living in the property and they shouldn't be. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we've had houses where bathtubs are filled with animal feces. We've had uh, properties where there's dozens of dead cats all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we deal a lot with that, a lot with burnt down properties. Uh, we deal with a lot of probate. So we get a lot of people who are out of state mm-hmm. who will reach out to us and just say, hey, we didn't, you know, my mom was a hoarder. She passed away. Go look at the house. I mean, I've, I've had houses so bad that I couldn't physically go in them. The smell was so bad. That's only happened a few times. How have, how did they reach out to you, right? Like what were you doing where they reached out to you in a probate situation? So the probate situations, those were direct. Um, we were calling them direct. Mm-hmm. So on, on the probate ones, but we get, gotcha. we actually, the, this is one thing that was really weird to me too, is in the real estate industry on the retail side, like you work for referrals, like you do, you want referrals because a you know, referral listing, there's not a lot of cost into it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we get a lot of referrals like from, Hey, you bought my neighbor's house. Hey, you bought my aunt's house. Um, you know, we were, I think, one of the first groups in Arizona that really pushed post-possessions. Mm-hmm. So we would buy a property and say, hey, you can live here for free for 60 days, like no charge, no hold back. Um, we'll, we'll pay you all up front and you can stay in the house for 60 days. I think that got us a lot of referrals. Now, I, I think a lot of guys now are doing the, the post-possession mm-hmm. thing, um, but we don't charge for it. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so door knocking has been huge. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you started cold calling. Yeah. So door knocking was how we first, well, we started off cold calling, then we transitioned to door knocking, then we transitioned to both. Mm-hmm. Um, 
cold calling has has been really good. You know, in the last couple of years, a lot of guys have gotten into the industry, so there's mm. a lot more competition. But when we first started doing it, we were we were getting a lot of a lot of doors on on calling. Um, the the big thing with cold calling is, it, you know, a, a lot of people are worried about the message. They're worried about the script. My personal opinion, it's all timing. Mm-hmm. I, I really do think that it's just all timing. It kind of doesn't matter what you say. If you say something along the lines of like, hey, I'm going to pay cash for your house and I'll give you a free post possession. That's really all the script needs to be. I think yeah. people are over. I think they're too worried about what should I say. Just mm-hmm. you just got to be in front of enough people enough times. Right. Um, I mean, we'll talk to people for years before they're ready to sell. Really? And we'll, yeah, oh, yeah. And then we'll talk to other people consistently month after month after month. And then one of my guys will skip calling him for three months and they sold to somebody else. Like, well, they just they called that month. You didn't. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a matter of just staying in front of people. Yeah. And I remember there's one thing you shared with me before was that w- some of your biggest rips as well is when you're door knocking a foreclosure mm-hmm. and then you're hitting that house that no one else is calling. Yeah. So a lot of guys target knock. They'll go out to a neighborhood and say, all right, these are the eight houses that we're going to buy based on these uh, stress indicators. Mm-hmm. We will go out to a neighborhood. And when I say we, uh, my door knocking team currently is seven guys. So they'll go out to a neighborhood and they know of those seven or eight properties that everybody's going after, but they're literally door knocking the entire square mile. And when they door knock a, mi- a square mile, they're also leaving a flyer at every single door. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times, like I was saying, we get properties where 10 guys might be targeting 123 Main Street. Nobody's going after 124 Main Street. We just happen to leave them a flyer or door knock them and we buy the property. Gotcha. Um, so that, that's one thing I'd recommend to people is, you know, spot knocking is fine, but I, I think doing it the massive way is the way to go. So if you're going to door knock a neighborhood or door knock, these specific houses hit the whole neighborhood just flyer are are you door knocking the whole neighborhood or are you flyering the neighborhood they'll do both they'll do both yeah so you know the other thing too is that arizona um you know june july august september it's 115 degrees out like Mm -hmm. nobody's door knocking so my guys will go out and door knock and i think i truly think that's why we get good deals is a lot of guys are just you know it's too hot to door knock all right that's fine you guys give them like ice packs like a chick-fil-a we actually have those uh they're these towel rag things that like stay super cold for hours on end. But yeah, no, no joke. They'll, yeah. they literally, they'll wrap their neck in it. It's like the ones you see like uh, when you're watching like ESPN late at night. Golf, and like golf, yeah, golf guys. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Okay, so cool. Um, what were some, I mean, we talked about your journey from where you were until we got to where you are today. What were some struggles along the way? Struggles along the way. I think, um, you know, real estate's been good for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much been a hockey stick curve up. Um, I think what people need to realize is that the market can change very quick. Yeah. Um, so, you know, struggling in six, seven, eight, nine was, uh, you know, our inventory, I think it hit like 50,000 active listings at one point in time. We were at 56,000 and change. Right. Like I think in 2009. Yeah. So when I bought my house in 2006, there were literally 2,300 houses for sale, mm-hmm. right? In the MLS. Yep. And then that quickly changed. And then we went to the other end of the spectrum yeah. where there were 56,000 homes yeah. for sale in MLS. So, you know, the struggle back then was you would have one buyer and you were showing them 60 houses because mm-hmm. there were just more and more inventory. It just kept building up. So that was a big struggle. Um, but I, I think uh, just transitioning, I think people need to be ready to transition on a dime. I think yeah. you have to be. Um, and, you know, when times are good, people kind of forget about the bad times. But mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm grateful that I got into the industry when it was tanking because yeah. I think if I would have, you know, a lot of people that got in in 2003, they were out by six. 
Um, there were so many people. I got in in 2007. There were so many people that were leaving. Yeah. Like you could just see them walking by you as you're walking in. And you know, I, I think I think in the last 12 to 24 months, we've started seeing what we were seeing in 2003, which is just mm-hmm. this massive influx of agents, which mm-hmm. is like, hey, this is super easy. And same with wholesalers. It's super easy. And it, it has been. It's been mm-hmm. very, very easy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the struggles were just transitioning from, uh, you know, doing the REO business and then that dried up. I mean, they were just kind of no more REOs. Mm-hmm. And then it was the trustee sales. And then you had all of these large funds that came in. It was like, well, I'm not gonna buy anything here. Yeah, that's a shift. And then it was, all right, we're going to Colorado. And then same thing, a lot of the funds went there. And then it mm-hmm. was, so it was just kind of always pivoting and, and being aware that whatever you're doing right now probably isn't gonna last forever. No, it's definitely not gonna last. And that's one of the big takeaways for me. And I've always been mindful of it. I, when I got licensed in 2007, was that I got in right around the time where Remax 2000 just closed their doors. Yep. Right. And we were talking seven locations, ten locations, whatever it was. Hundreds and you showed up, and doors were chained. Yep. Title companies were chained. Yep. Right. You had you had houses that you that someone had bought or got qualified for the loan, and money was at title. And then it was pulled back. Yep, wasn't closing. Yep. Wasn't closing. Commission checks bouncing. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I have gone through that crap. So yeah. you, you think that some of these guys that are having a really good time right now may not be prepared. I would I would change it from may not and they're for sure not. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see a crash like what we saw. We're before. definitely not going to see a crash. Every like recession's that. different. Um, we're not going to see a crash a like shift. that. There, it is going to change. Yeah. And I, I just think a lot of the guys that got into it in the last 24 months, I mean, you know, I, I deal with some wholesalers that they don't know how to value real estate, mm-hmm. but they just know that if they get something under contract somewhere in this price range, they're probably going to be able to make some money on it. And that's just not a sustainable business. Yeah. It's not. Um, so somewhere along the way, um, we got connected in a, in a mastermind with a title company yeah. in, in, yep. in Tempe. Um, and we would talk about, you know, real estate, whatever. And you're like, hey, I've got this other idea, this other thing I'm working on. Yeah. It's like, that's just another distraction. Yeah. Let's talk about that distraction. Yeah. How's that worked out? Good. Um, <laughs> so in 2010, Arizona passed the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act. Um, the governor immediately sued the state to put a stay on it. Um, and then in 2011, uh, I was actually at my gym at the time and I was talking to a guy and um, he ended up, he was an attorney and I sat down with him just to talk just about some business stuff. And I said, you know, I really want to get into marijuana. I don't, I don't really know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, I really want to get into it. And he was like, well, I'm putting together a group. And I thought, well, shoot, I'm, I'm all in. Um, met with some of the other partners and, or, you know, not even partners at the time, just the guys that were like kind of interested. And um, so end of 2011, we decided, hey, let's make a run at this thing. And um, we applied for a few licenses in Arizona. We tried to get three, we got two. And then uh, opened up one of them in Tempe Mm -hmm. and just kind of slowly grew that. And uh, that company actually went public a year ago last week. So Mm -hmm. it's been public for just over 12 months now. Um, And it's grown to be one of the largest, uh, they're called MSOs, multi-state operators um, in the nation. Uh, They have over 200 licenses. Um, I'm not involved with the operations anymore. I haven't been since early 2017, but um, I was pretty heavily involved in 11 through 15. I was very involved. So I was uh, traveling between here and Nevada because we expanded Nevada. Um, While I was still involved, we we expanded from Arizona, Nevada, uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, and then 
in 2017, we took over another company. At that point in time, most of the original founders kind of stepped out. There were about three guys that still stayed involved with it. Mm-hmm. The only person who's an original founder that's still there is a CEO. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've since mid 2017, it's grown just massively. Yeah. So that distraction worked out pretty well in your favor. It did. Wish I had accepted your offer yeah. to invest in it. Yeah. You know, it was a different climate back then. I mean, the, the DEA was still busting doors down. Um, yeah. You know, the the outlook on it from the government back then was very different than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we were back then, even though we were abiding by state laws, there were still federal laws that obviously supersede the state laws that, you know, were acting within Arizona guidelines still would have put us in prison for a minimum of 20 years. Yeah. And that, and that was the decisions we had to make. We sat right. at, you know, tables and said, you know, are we going to do this? And yeah, we decided to, and it paid well, off. Well, I remember like some of that conflict, right? Because when they passed that legislation, I mean, I, I had a client who was trying to buy a warehouse mm-hmm. so he can grow. Yeah. And I remember getting involved in it. And I was like, man, I hope we get this license because just me selling that warehouse alone, that's a $30,000 commission check. Yeah. You know, but see, a we, lot of industries or a lot, there was a lot of, a lot of good things economically happening. Oh yeah, huge. because because of the industry. Yeah, huge. Um, but I mean, we couldn't even find landowners and and building owners that would want to work with us because That's why you that, had to buy them. Yeah, <laughs> at, because at that point in time, even if you were just the landlord renting, you were renting to a federally illegal business. I mean, right. And even to this day, as we sit here in 2019, it is federally illegal what we do. But right. it, you know, the government's yeah. kind of turned an eye to it. I remember every time we were looking at leases, it was like. Um, hey, will they be okay with this? And we would ask them, and the answer was always no. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. And then the ones that would, it was like, all right, yeah, market rents $3 a foot. Yeah, you can have it for 15 a foot. Like, all right, well, it's our only option, so here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what were some lessons you learned along the way in building that that could apply to your business today? Um, you know, in real estate, I think, for the most part, it, their real estate agents aren't known as the best business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are some great business owners in the space, but I'd say for the masses, they're not really business owners. Right. Um, you know, I didn't go to college, so I I just kind of learned along the way. Going with those guys, I mean, we had uh, guys that own commercial construction companies, uh, law firms. So I I was the youngest in the group by a decade. Mm-hmm. So I got to learn from a lot of guys who had built successful businesses and we approached it not as like, Hey, let's go get high and try to sell weed. It was like, all right, we want to build this thing to be, to be a massive business. And, and we, we were looking at it as like the Coors, Coors business coming out of prohibition. You know, yeah. it was like, all right, it's still kind of illegal, but let's, if we do this as a business, fast forward a couple a couple years and it, this could be pretty legitimate. Um, so learned a lot about growth, learned a lot about dealing with partners because there were uh, there were five of us originally. Um, I'd say that one of the biggest things I learned was was pick your lane and stay in your lane. You know, a lot of times within partnerships and organizations, you have a lot of bleed over, like I'm going to do this today and that tomorrow and this today, and then your partner's doing this today and that today and that tomorrow. <laughs> um, but we were really big on like, hey, stay in your lane, like trust your partners, trust your employees. They're going to stay in their lane. You stay in your lane. That was yeah. one of the, the biggest takeaways I had. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So. It was this little thing. You, you kind of got a couple of guys together. Let's start this uh, as Harvest, mm-hmm. right? And now it's one of the top multi-state uh, operators. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're they're public, mm-hmm. millions of dollars, hundreds of yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. How in the world do you stay motivated? Um, I got to stay busy. You know, I uh, I I 
I grew up in real estate. My mom's a real estate agent. Um, I've been in it since I was 18 years old. Um, It's everything that I've ever known. So it would be it would be silly for me to leave real estate, especially on the investment side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can build really, really great wealth through real estate. Yeah. Um, So there's there's no reason for me to leave. I still like it. Um, You know, I like the guys I work with a lot. And I'm 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 like I'm a deal junkie. Like I just I I love doing deals. Well, because you could just take the money, park it be, you know, you could, you could park it in, you know, a safe fund, mm-hmm. make six to 8%. Mm-hmm. You could be a hard money lender mm-hmm. making 12 to 18%. Yeah. But you're still out there hustling. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I kind of do all those. So I, I do lend, um, I do buy rentals. I do, I, I'll flip from time to time. It's more of a joint venture thing. So now instead of me being the guy trying to raise the money and go in and I go do the project, I'm more JVing with guys and hey, I'll put up the money, you go manage the project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we still wholesale. I I have my, my wholesale operation there um, because I really like the guys that I work with. You know, three of the guys have been with me for four years, so I want to make sure they stay successful. Um, but it's also there to service uh, me for buying rental properties and for me and my joint venture partners to buy and flip properties. Um, so I, I, I would never let it go away. It would just, it would be silly. Like I'm, you know, I know I always want to buy real estate. Uh, right now I am the, I, I get the deals originated and I'm mm-hmm. the filter. Why, w- why would I go away? You know, if I, yeah. if I just started buying from other wholesalers, I'm essentially paying what I could be getting it under contract for if I ran the operation myself, mm-hmm. plus their fee, plus of eight to 12,000. Yeah, yeah. So it just, it doesn't make sense for me to, to turn it off. Right. So for you right now, you're just acquiring properties mm-hmm. and as long as it can get you good deals that give you a decent ROI. Yeah. Yep. Happy to keep doing that. Yep. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about before was, uh, so you got, you said three guys with, 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 that have been with you for a while. How many acquisition guys do you have? Right now I've got one, two, three, four, five, seven. Seven. Yeah. Um, and so a conversation that you and I have had, um, you know, over lunch is that a lot of guys right now, the question of compensation comes up every once in a while, yeah. right? Uh, I think we pay our guys really well at 20%. People yeah. tell me we're paying our guys too much. Mm-hmm. And you pay way more than that. Way more, yeah. Um, Talk to me about that. My the the guy that will make the lowest amount for me, and these are like we're onboarding you. You don't you don't know what escrow means. Um, they'll be between twenty and twenty five percent. My lead guy, he'll be between forty five and fifty percent. Um, my other couple guys that have been with me for a while, they are going to be between thirty and forty percent. Okay. Um, you know. Just like in real estate, when you have a, a team with buyer's agents, buyer's agents move constantly. Like mm-hmm. you look at the Department of Real Estate website, somebody's been at 14 brokerages at eight to yeah. 12 month spans because they're, they're always just looking for, can I make 5% more? Can I make 5% more? And I see that in the wholesale inter- industry. Like we still, we get guys that'll call us and say, hey, I've been working for so-and-so. Do you want me to come over? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I looked at it as, do I pay too much? I mean, I, I don't think I pay too much. I The industry thinks I pay too much and that's fine. Right. But I also have three guys who've been with me for three to four years who mm-hmm. would, I mean, they'd take a bullet for me. Yeah. And at times they might have to. <laughs> well, uh, with the houses you're door yeah. knocking. <laughs> but uh, they've been with me forever. They're loyal. They love what they do. And yeah. yeah. So what does the rest of your organization look like? Rest of the organization. Um, so I, I was talking about earlier, we do a lot of door knocking and a lot of cold calling. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was approached by um, a guy who became a, a good buddy of mine. And he was a systems guy. He actually, he spent uh, a decade in the U.S. Air Force, flew mm-hmm. F-16s, uh, really, really smart guy. And he kind of came in and he was wanting to invest in real estate and start to flip houses. And 
he noticed a big disconnect in technology in the real estate space. And so he came to me and pretty much said, hey, you know, how does your office work? And at that time, I had a door knocking app that I was using, not one that I owned, just one that we were paying for. I had a cold calling system, and then we had a way of getting contact data. And the person that ran that was a girl named Cheyenne. And Cheyenne was a like $14 an hour employee. And she would sit there and she would extract out all the, the doors we were hitting and building lists and then formatting those lists and taking them to the skip tracing company and getting contact data and then getting that list back and then dividing the list up, putting it mm-hmm. into the dialers and tracking everything. And Will came to me and he said, hey, you give me three weeks, we're going to fire Cheyenne. I said, all right, you know, go for it. And so he built out a system that every day at 1 p.m., it would automatically extract out every door that my guys had hit and identified that day, automatically push them to the skip tracing company, get the contact information, and then push it to our dialer. Mm -hmm. And so we essentially removed human interaction from data and from connecting all these softwares. And uh, I'm like, all right, cool, I'm, I'm good with it. And he, he built out the he built it out in a way that it would reprioritize calls every single day. So it would mm-hmm. reprioritize it based on um, when it was generated and who generated it. And um, so we did that, and that was, like I said, mid-2018. And uh, in March of this year, I was talking with him, and I'm like, you know, I think, I think this could actually be like a consumer-facing business. I think this is something that we should, you know, see if other people are interested in doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, yeah, let's, let's go for it. And um, I said, well, you got to build me a website, like, because I'm not a tech guy. I'm like, mm-hmm. so I, I understand how it works kind of high level, but I need you to build me a website so I can say, point people and say, here, this, this thing works. Yeah. And um, through that, we ended up building a data aggregation service and a data aggregation pipeline that connects different real estate softwares through data. Um, and so it's it's uh, it's now nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an on-prem database of 158 million properties in the United States, um, and it makes live calls. So rather than uh, some of these other companies where you have to send them a list and then wait, you know, six to 24 hours to get your list back, um, it's, it's all live. So mm-hmm. for instance, we can take a list of a thousand property addresses uh, with or without ownership information, and you're gonna have that list back in two to four minutes with yeah. contact data. What does on-prem mean? On-prem means that we uh, we don't go to an outside service for it. So on-premises. So it's our it's our internal database. Gotcha. Um, that refreshes every other week. So we have new ownership information. We have a vacancy database. So mm-hmm. the it actually updates every month with vacant properties. We have an absentee owner database. Um, so someone can go to the system right now and say, I want uh, vacant properties in this zip code, and it's going to generate that list for you with contact data. Gotcha. Um, so. Yes, Cheyenne. So you got the acquisition guys. Mm-hmm. Yes, Cheyenne. Will's basically automating yep. this um, dispositions. I mean, I know you're you're keeping some of these. Mm-hmm. How are you moving the rest? Two of the guys, two of the guys in my office, they do all the dispositions. Okay. So um, for me personally, I don't touch any acquisition or any disposition. Once it's under contract, I'll take a look at it. I'll say, hey, I think it's worth X. I think we can move it for this price. Um, so you're still evaluating it. I will value it once we have the contract. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so once we have the contract, I'll value the property. I'll tell them where I think we can move it at based on the condition and the value. Um, or I'll tell them, hey, I'm going to buy this one. Gotcha. Yeah. But then two guys in my office, they build the blasts. They reach out to all the investors. They send the blast out. They field all the calls. Uh, they manage the whole disposition. Uh, any virtual assistance? No. No. Not on the real estate business. Um, and then as far as like, you know, uh, your acquisition guys, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, hiring, keeping, hiring and keeping. Mm-hmm. You know, inside salespeople has have have been historically a challenge, and I know mm-hmm. a lot of people have that challenge. Do you still have that challenge, given what you pay, or you you kind of don't have that challenge? No, you overpay them and they stay. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a fun office; it's a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we have a craps table. 
We have two TVs. We have an Xbox. We have a craps table. Yeah, we have a ping pong <laughs> table. Um, so it's, it's a fun environment. You know, mm-hmm. we buy them lunch every couple of days, and um, it's a fun environment, but they, they work really hard. Yeah. And, you know, they they get paid really well. You know, most of the acquisition guys in their, lo- their low 20s, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're going to make 40, 50, 60 grand a year. Right. Um, you know, two of, the, two of the guys in the office make over 100. Uh, one guy makes over 200. And, you know, no college degree. It's not a nine to five. Um, you know, if they want to go on vacation, they go on vacation. If they want to take a day off, they take a day off. No drug testing? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, we talked about door knocking mm-hmm. and we talked about cold calling. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything else? We do mailers from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um we will, but again, that's pretty specifically targeted. So we'll, t- we'll typically uh, door knock for three months and then all the properties that we identified as being bad properties in our office, the tag's called POS. Uh, so we, every quarter we mail all the POS properties. Um, so we, uh, they get hit by door knocking, calling, and then in the mail. Gotcha. Um, and we have a lot of friends, right, in the business. Like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you've been in the business a long time, I've been in the business a long time. So we have a lot of friends in the traditional real estate side mm-hmm. right, in, the, in that community. Uh, but you've made a decision to let your license go. Yeah, I went inactive. Yeah, so yeah. talk about the, the decision. Why'd you do that? I went inactive either two or three years ago. I don't remember, I think two, just over two years ago. Um, I wasn't using it anymore. Mm-hmm. And as a licensed agent in Arizona, you have to make specific disclosures when you're buying a property, when you're selling a property. Um, I've dealt with the Department of Real Estate on wholesaling. They don't love the industry by any means. Um, And I think a lot of agents, I had an agent in my office a week or two ago who's wholesaling. And um, I was talking to him about his license and on all of his contracts, he's not disclosing that he's a licensed agent. Mm. You gotta gotta do that. And so it was just a matter of, is it bringing me any value versus the liability? Mm-hmm. And I own a brokerage, so I don't I don't need to have my license. If I buy a property that I want to sell, I have agents. Uh, my wife has a real estate license, so there just there wasn't a reason for me to have it. Um, yeah. You know, maybe I'll show a tenant a house from time to time or something for a couple hundred <laughs> bucks, and I'll reactivate it. But right, yeah, I just didn't need it. Um, are there any important metrics with the way you run your business that you know you feel are are, um, are specific to you or? I'd say they're probably the same that everybody does. How many calls per day are your guys making? How many contacts per day? Uh, how many contacts per contract? How many contracts per closing? Um, so I I would think that most guys are looking yeah. at the same stuff I'm looking at. Um, nothing crazy important. Um, yeah. Uh, so Herman Soros wants to know what's your door knocking script when you're when you're in front of the homeowners yeah so we used to do we used to door knock and say hey do you want a cash offer on your house that wasn't the best what seems to work yeah (laughs) what seems to actually work really well is you knock on a house and Mm -hmm. say hey my name's whatever so andrew for instance he'll go out hey my name's andrew i know you don't want to sell your house you clearly don't need to sell your house and then he'll point to somebody across the street do you know if what they want a cash offer you know and they'll kind of start it that way um and you know what people don't realize they're just snaking around the neighborhood so they're hitting every single house anyways mm-hmm. but it's it's just simply like hey you know i know you don't want to cash offer for your house you don't need to sell your house do you know if they would want to cash offer here's what we paid for your neighbor's house we give them this post possession do you think they would be interested in that mm-hmm. um and that that's been our best go that's just like an investor pitch mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's been our best go i mean i know you're not 
probably interested in investing, but do you know anyone else is looking to make exactly. 7% exactly. ROI? Yeah. It's like, no, I'm that guy. Yeah. I want to make 7% ROI. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's been the best, the best approach that we've had. Not, Hey, will you sell me your house? I'm at your house. But you know, to be honest with you too, is we, we talk to a lot of people who will tell us, you know, we get letters, we get calls, we get texts, but the fact that you were actually here, mm-hmm. sometimes people think like you drove out just to meet them. Like you drove out just to their house to talk to them about buying their house. So I think it shows a little bit more commitment. You know, mm-hmm. again, in Arizona, it's super easy to send a mailer. It's very easy to call. It's very easy to text. When it's 115 degrees out, there's nobody else in the neighborhood door knocking. We mm-hmm. never see other people door knocking for real estate. Um, so when you're out there, it shows a level of commitment. Like, hey, I'm here right now. I'm not just sending you a text. I'm interested in your house, this house that I'm at. Um, I think I think it shows more commitment. Gotcha. And so when you're door knocking, right, this, you know, you're out in the street today, you're door knocking. Are you trying to lock it up right then and there? Or are you trying to set up another appointment for someone else to come in? Depends on who's on the door specifically. Our guys will all stay within the square mile. Mm-hmm. Um, I only have one guy in the office who gets contracts. I have three guys who go on appointments. So if it's one of the appointment guys, they'll walk in the house and do the appointment. If it's one of the uh, like lower level sales guys, they'll be at you know whatever address and street and they'll reach out center. to one of the other guys and say, hey, this person wants you to meet with them and they'll mm-hmm. go over there. Okay, so let's just say you got the guy that's ready to lock it up, right? Mm-hmm. So he knocks on the door, homeowner lets him in. What's some of the craziest things he's ever seen? Craziest things we've ever seen. Uh, the meth house was really interesting because, you know, they weren't thinking right. They, there was a fire in the kitchen. You had one person in the kitchen with a rake, and they were raking garbage out of the kitchen. And then you had somebody else, and they had a broom, and they were cleaning. So both people thought they were cleaning. They were back-to-back. They were literally hockey pucking trash back to each other. They just they and so we were sitting there like, this can't be real right now. That was one of the craziest. Um, the dead cats was pretty crazy. Uh, one house, you know, I don't know how nasty you want me to get. One house had uh, uh, buckets of feces, human feces, so they weren't using the toilets, so they were just buckets everywhere. Uh, one, like of your, one of your agents bought that house from me, Elman. Uh, <laughs> Love Elman. Yeah. Uh, buckets of feces. Um, we've had... Did that convey when you sold it to Elman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had it. Yeah, we <laughs> gave that to Elman. Um, uh, bathtub full of animal feces. Um, needles. I mean, obviously, you know, lots of drugs. Um We've seen some that were grow houses where people mm-hmm. tried to hide it, that what they were growing. Um, yeah, we've we've seen just about everything. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you can smell it or anything. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then Mario Fernandez wants to know how are you paying the door knockers? They're all commission guys. All of them are commission. So same thing. Yep. Twenty to forty percent, depending on their experience, who they are, experience, and what they do. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then you know, if you could just elaborate your deal flow, how many deals are you doing a month right now? On average, we're between six and eight, mm-hmm. six to ten, because we'll we'll pick some off as rentals or flips, personally. But as and far as, you know, like your margins, like I said earlier, are kind of stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Way higher than ours. Yeah. So monthly, what are you guys bringing in revenue? Um, we have uh, since 2016. We've always, uh, on an annual basis, we've always been over seven figures. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had some months in the past where we've been in the 200 range, we've, mm-hmm. you know, but on average, we're between 80 and 100. Yeah. And I kind of mentioned earlier in the beginning of the show, you know, you've been kind of quiet. 
Yeah. You've always stayed under the radar. Yeah, I'm the wholesaler nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Why? What's the purpose? I mean, I only know because the we're office, connected. Yeah. Um, right. I don't know. I'm, d- I'm not a big self-promoter. I'm not a big social media guy. Like, yeah. you know, I'm on social media, but, um, you know, I don't talk about deal flow. And um, No one would know looking at your Facebook. Yeah. That you... That you're even in real estate, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing, loose lips sink ships. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. You know, one thing I did learn from the auction days is that uh, we had a really good thing going at the auctions. There weren't a lot of guys who were doing it. Mm-hmm. E- even when there were 30 companies down there, that really wasn't a lot. Um, and then there was a TV show on Discovery. Mm-hmm. And it was, what was it? Property Wars. Yeah. And that, to me, that ruined, we had a really good, you know, we had a fishing hole with a lot of fish and not a lot of people knew about the fishing hole. Yeah. Um, and I've seen kind of the same thing happen in on the investment side of real estate is that mm-hmm. in 2014, 15, like nobody was doing the direct to seller thing. And so for me, I looked at it as like, I know about this thing that works really well. Why am I going to go broadcast it? Yeah. Well, in 2017, 18, 19, everybody else started broadcasting it. So. A little different. Yeah. It's a little bit different now. Yeah. Uh, so then since you're door knocking and cold calling and just mailing every once in a while, mm-hmm. what is your monthly overhead? Monthly overhead's pretty low because, um, you know, I obviously have an office, but I don't have, a, I don't have salaries. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not paying guys a lot of salaries. So uh, on an average basis, we're about 7,000 a month. Now, obviously, if we do a mailer, it's going to go up significantly, but yeah, we're, we're right around 7,000 a month. That's really low. And, and that, I mean, 20% of that's our dialing because we have, uh, I think we have what, eight seats, triple line dialers. Yeah. Uh, which program are you using right now for dialing? Mojo. You went back to Mojo? Yeah. So I was using 5.9 for yeah. just over a year. Um, 5.9 is really good if you have a lot of different complications that you want to build into it. Mm-hmm. And we did. And it just, it was, it wasn't too robust. I think what we were trying to do was too robust for 5.9 because it mm-hmm. was dealing with like, how sellers were acting on the phone and it would reprioritize calls based on that. It would reprioritize calls based on ring time. And it was, it was just, I think it was just too much. And I just got to the point where I was like, all right, let's just dumb it down go back yeah. to Mojo. All right. Uh, guys, this is, remember it's a live show. So ask your questions. Um, you know, Kyle's happy to answer all your questions. Uh, so Mer wants to know, have been houses you go to with a partner or do you always, or just alone? On the appointments? I guess probably the question probably more is along the lines of, are there houses that you for sure are bringing a partner with you? Um, now, not so much just cause I refuse to go on appointments. Well, I guess not you, Yeah. but your team, like, do you have like a buddy system? Typically. Yeah. So, and the way that we do it right now is if we have a, an appointment in a neighborhood at one thirty today, mm-hmm. that's where the whole group's going to knock. Yeah. Um, usually only one guy goes inside of the appointment, but I mean, there were plenty of times where we like no chance one person would have gone into the house. Yeah. Um, you know, I've actually one story I forgot that there was a property in Tempe where, um, you know, I, I do jujitsu and mm. in jujitsu, I learned there are things that are going to hurt. And then there are things that are going to kill you. And you mm. just have to put up with the things that are going to hurt. And I remember I walked, I walked into the house and I kind of got in there and the owner was, you know, I'm short, I'm five foot seven. The owner was a big guy and I started walking around the house and I remember thinking, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit hard. You're going to have to get out of the house. You need to, you need to find a way out of the house. And I was in that house by myself, actually. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff about the house that I probably can't talk about, but it was a really funny situation. We ended up buying it. Anything uh, weird happened? Did you get hit? I did not get hit. There were a lot of weird things in the house. I mean, yeah. you could like feel evil. There was a room in the garage that was built out that was all blacked out with weird masks. Um, I think you sent me photos of this house. There were things mounted on walls. Yeah. Yeah. It was that house. <laughs> I was, you know, I remember thinking like, all right, you're going to get hit. Just deal yeah. with it and get out. 
so there have been um, I haven't you know I haven't done as much volume as all those other guys have been in the show but there are two different houses I've been at uh, one where I was walking by and I was like okay there's this rusty hammer just sitting here by itself for no reason whatsoever yeah right it's like okay well hopefully nothing crazy happens with this rusty hammer because like the guy's kind of like not all there yep so I was like all right well I gotta keep my head in the swivel yeah just in case and nothing weird happened but it's like no one knows where I'm at right oh yeah Right. Um, we have a shared calendar. My wife was on it back in the day because it was like, all right, we need to know where everybody is at every every point in time. Because yeah. yeah, there were houses that were rough. Yeah, I mean, rough. And then I had another one where the house was worth about two forty, two forty, two forty five, and the guy wanted two forty five, mm-hmm. which is fine, whatever. It's a tough negotiation. Yeah. But he was a bodybuilder. Yeah. And he wasn't taking no for an answer. Yeah. It's like you're paying two forty five for this. I was like, <laughs> I'm not paying two forty five for this house. Hey, we moved. <laughs> yeah. I bought us a house. But I mean, he was like flexing. Yeah. In the appointment, I was like, man, if this guy wants to go to town, I can't do anything. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Haven't had any of those. <laughs> I don't think. He was really assertive. Yeah. Uh, Kao wants to know your initial offer for the home about the neighbor's house. Uh-huh. Would you, so when you say, I want to, you know, I'm thinking about buying that house. Yeah. We paid this much. What are you telling those homeowners? So we use a system called Batch Geo, mm-hmm. um, and Batch Geo is a map system. And so what we do is every month we upload an Excel spreadsheet into that, and it tracks all of our purchases across Maricopa County with address, purchase price, square footage, your build, bunch of specs on the property. And so when my guys door knock a neighborhood, they actually have reference points because here, you know, here are houses that we bought, and they just open it on their on their iPhones. That's pretty smart. Yeah. And so what they'll do is they'll, you know, I'm talking to Steve, saying, "Hey, I want to buy that house." You know, I think, and the way that they'll play it is they'll they'll kind of they'll play the homeowner off themselves. So like, hey, I'm standing in front of a 1600 square foot house. Well, I know that in the neighborhood I paid this for another 1600 square foot house. So mm-hmm. they'll say, hey, Steve, you know, that house looks like it's like 1600 square feet. Here's what we think we would pay. Uh, here's the conditional one we just bought. And that's kind of the, the conversation starter. Oh, gotcha. So you just base it off what you guys have bought it for. It has nothing to do with percentages, has nothing to do with ARVs. I don't do percentages. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll it'll be based off ARV a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, what have we bought in the area? What are other cash offers paying for in the area? Uh, what's yeah. going for retail in the neighborhood? What could this rent So for? you probably also know what you can sell it for as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the other thing too is that we go on way less appointments than most wholesalers. Mm-hmm. Like in, in a given month, we're not going on 20 appointments. Yeah. You know, I know some guys that they're going on like three to five appointments a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm, I am, I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm not a hard worker. I'm not going to work hard. I'm just, yeah. I'm not going to. So I have to be very, very efficient and I have to work really smart because mm-hmm. I am not going to work hard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll go on less than 20 appointments a month, but we'll buy, you know, again, six to eight uh, on average. Do you guys have a targeted fee? No. I mean, I, I at times I, I look at deals that come in because again, I don't, I don't sign the contracts and I don't deal with the disposition. So there are times where I'm like, you guys, this was a $1,200 assignment fee. Like this is not worth the time, the risk, like what are you guys doing? But you know, it's, it's good for the guys in the office to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, targeted fee, you know, I'd, I'd like to be at least eight grand just based on, you know, the amount of time that goes into it and getting in everything like that. Yeah. But yeah, there have been times where I'm like, you guys, you're, you're we're losing money buying this house. Like what are you doing? <laughs> Uh, Sean O'Rourke wants to know, how are you recruiting your door knockers? Yeah, I'll just be totally honest with you. Uh, Mormons, uh, Mormons right out of high school, they go and they door knock for two years. And, um, we have right now in the office of the seven guys, either three or four of them are LDS because they were, they spent two years door knocking. And, you know, the big thing with door knocking and a lot, the reason why a lot of people don't want to do it is fear of rejection. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, all right, you're going to door knock somebody's house. Worst case scenario, they tell you to leave and then you just go to the next house. Well. Mormons who are door knocking for two years, 
they don't have that fear of rejection. Yeah. Um, so we've done really well with that. And then just, you know, younger guys who are looking to be more on the entrepreneur side of mm-hmm. business, you know, they don't want to be an hourly employee. Um, they're, you know, they go out and door knock. So I don't know how to say this without being offensive. I don't get offended. How are LDS people working for you? How are LDS people working for me? I have a lot of people who were raised Mormon mm-hmm. and who went on their mission and maybe don't go to church every week anymore. Really? Yeah. Gotcha. So these like Jack Mormons. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, and then Kenny Wright wants to know, are you letting your team write the contract um, or do they set the appointment? You go back with them and do the contract. I don't go. I have one guy in the office who is able to get the contract mm-hmm. signed. Um, so uh, three guys are allowed to go on appointments. One guy is allowed to get the contract signed. Mm. Um, and Matt Beard is asking about felons. Felons? Mm-hmm. What about them? I don't know. He just says felons. The ones who work for me or the ones yeah. who? Uh, <laughs> do I have any felons who work for me? I don't have anybody with a felony, so I don't have any felons. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then Kenny wants to know, how do you prospect for Mormons who finished their two-year service? There's a, there's actually a website where you can post jobs. Uh, it's and it's specific to the Mormon Church. I can't remember what it is. Andrew runs it for me. But you can actually, it's like a Craigslist. You can post uh, job ads. It's almost like, um, what's that? Like Farm Girls Only? Is that what it is? Yeah, something like that. It's Farm like this. Only. Yeah, for LDS. Yeah, J date. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that's really what it is. So we, yeah. we post on there, uh, and then they're still connected in the the Mormon community. So they, right. you know, they have family friends who. Uh, you know, they know. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so we talked about this earlier and maybe elaborate this a little bit more. Uh, so we've seen the shifts, we've seen the turns. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything right now to prepare for the next shift? I've been doing it for the last year and a half because mm-hmm. we used to spend, so I used to pay dialers. At one point in time, we had 19 guys in the office. 10 of them were getting paid hourly to dial. Um, I used to do mailers every single month. I used to do text campaigns. And in 2019, we did away with all of that mm-hmm. because I think it's very important right now that guys stay lean. Yeah. I, again, I don't think people realize how fast the market can change. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 90 days may not sound fast, but the problem is as it's changing, a lot of people throw more money at the problem. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, all right, I just got to do more marketing. I got to spend more here, more here. And then the revenue isn't there from it. And three months down the road, it's like, all right, now I'm out of money mm-hmm. and the market's changed. I don't know what to do. So um, staying lean, you know, I, I keep my overhead super low. Um, because I, I think that a lot of investors and wholesalers have entered the space. I think there's a lot more competition. Um, and I think that it's going to uh, stay the same. I think I think there's yeah. going to be a lot more competition coming into the market in 20. Um, so, yeah, I, we just we're staying lean. Um, right. And I I always stay lean November, December, January. I don't, I don't spend a lot of money anyways. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'll kind of see what the market's looking like in December and January and then kind of reassess and go from there. Gotcha. Um, and then. We're talking about uh, skipping, you know, data and so on. So mm-hmm. I think I want to say maybe seven years ago, you're we talking about Lex- LexisNexis yeah. and all this stuff. So right now, what are you doing to get data? So essentially the program that Will built for my office internally is what we've brought to consumers now. Mm-hmm. So it's a nationwide product. We have people using it currently in 34 states. Um, like I said, we have every parcel in the United States. So we provide property data for free whenever you make a call to us. Um, 
the the company's called IVRE Data, and um, it's unique in that you don't have to have ownership information. It's unique in how you can make queries to the system. So for instance, any cell phone can send a text message with a property address to us, and within two to three seconds, you're getting a return with who owns that address, uh, phone numbers, email addresses. Um, it's incredibly inf- efficient in how it runs batch uh, files. So mm-hmm. again, a list of a thousand addresses will take two to three minutes to get that back. Um, and we're, we're built to integrate into businesses. And we're not just a service that's reselling data mm-hmm. and giving you back an Excel spreadsheet. Um, we can push to any endpoint you want. So we can direct it directly to Mojo, for instance. So if somebody uploads a list with through us, three minutes later, it's in their Mojo account with contact data. Yeah. Um, it's also really nice because you don't have to format lists. So we can get a list where you can leave in square footage and your built and sale history. And our list will find the property address somewhere in your file, run it for contact data and ownership, push it back there with all of your data still in there and send it to any endpoint that you want. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, you know, maybe I want to emphasize it again. So you're saying that if they upload a list, mm-hmm. once that list is skipped, it can go right into Mojo. Direct into Mojo. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you bring us a list, thousand addresses, two to four minutes later, that is in your Mojo account. So it's it's uh, a really efficient system. It's definitely different. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Biggest struggle right now, um, you know, again, assessing what 20 is going to look like. Um, it it kind of seems like there's a little bit of shift in the market right now, but I don't, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I say, you know, th- this time of year, it's always, you know, what's next year going to look like. So. Very much so. It's yeah. always what's gonna ha- what's gonna happen in January. Yeah, we got this pent up supply, pent up demand. Yep, and we don't know which one's gonna win. Yeah, and you January know, I too, we you know, one of the biggest struggles that we see in in Maricopa County, at least, and I talk with other guys who I, I I respect in the industry, is you're seeing a lot of guys who are putting properties under contract mm-hmm. in a way that they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd say that's one of the biggest struggles is that you know wholesalers unfortunately and fortunately, I guess, is it's unregulated. There's no department, there's no government uh, looking down on it saying, hey, you can and can't do these things. So what I've noticed in in the last year or so is a lot of guys are putting homeowners under contract Mm -hmm. at an unrealistically high price. And then they are locking that homeowner into that contract through uh, a recording against the property. And then, you know, a property worth 200, maybe they put it under contract for 190, knowing that nobody's going to pay above 150 for it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we'll deal with the seller and say, you know, hey, we'll pay that 150 for it. And then the seller finds out that they've been locked into this contract they can't get out of. And so I've seen people go into foreclosure because of that. So I'd say the biggest struggle is that, um, unfortunately, it's a, it's such an unregulated industry that a lot of guys have gotten into it and they're, Mm -hmm. they're very shady in my opinion. Yeah. So. I think that's a problem probably in multiple st- uh, states, but yeah. definitely something that's come up multiple times. In fact, there was a rant by one of our friends not too long ago mm-hmm. on Instagram about yeah. that. So what do you think is the fix for that? What do I think the fix is? I think that any time that someone sees that happening, mm-hmm. I would go to the attorney general. So mm-hmm. uh, I would make a complaint to the attorney general. I would also make a claim to the Department of Real Estate. Um, you know, and the, I wouldn't even, I mean, I think rant has a negative connotation to it. I think what he talked about was, uh, I think it needs to be talked about more. And I yeah. think the people who are doing this should be named. Um, and I, I think that you should go to the attorney general's office because we, yeah. we've dealt with homeowners who, and that property specifically, it almost got foreclosed on. I mean, mm-hmm. this lady was legitimately going to u- lose her house. Probably the, the biggest asset she's ever going to lo- have in her entire life, she's about to lose it to foreclosure because of two guys who were 
screwing her over yeah. and uh, misleading her on what she can possibly do with her property. And, and I don't even know the outcome of that deal anymore. I, I don't know what's happened with it. But um, I mean, these guys are, in my opinion, I think it's shady. I think anytime that you're recording an instrument against a property and a homeowner uh, where the homeowner doesn't fully understand what's going on, mm-hmm. um, I, mean, I, I think put them in jail. I think put them in jail too. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, what is your superpower? What is my superpower? I'm a survivor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a survivor. I'd say that's my superpower. You want to talk more about that? I just, I've been through a lot of different markets. Um, I've been through changing markets. I've been, I've been in markets where in 2006, seven, eight, like people don't realize it unless you were there, there were agents who were seasoned 20 years in the industry going bankrupt. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, you know, my talent or skill is just, just knowing how to survive and, and, and hopefully thrive in, in any type of market. Even our friend Brent, uh, uh, Brian Daniels, yeah. right? He signed, he personally guaranteed a very long uh, lease. I remember. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I think, you know, that, that'd be my, my superpower. I'm not, yeah. again, I'm not a hard worker. I'm an efficient <laughs> worker. Um, but I think surviving. Yeah. I think for me, um, I, I am glad that I didn't get into real estate in 2004, five and six. I think we would have been out in three years. Well, I think, you know, I saw all those guys and they're what they had to recover from was way harder than what I had to recover from. I just had to recover from credit card debt. Mm-hmm. These guys had to recover from BKs, losing their cars, losing their houses. Six, seven, eight houses, yeah. uh, commercial buildings, yeah. Right. I mean, it was it was insane. And the other thing, I'm, the reason I'm glad I didn't get into it in, in three and four, or two, three, four, was that um, I think we would have learned really bad habits. You know, yeah. when you get into it, when we did, you couldn't have bad habits. I mean, you know, the best of the best were going out of business. Like right. if you survived six through 10, mm-hmm. you're going to be all right. All right. Yeah. So I got to cut through my, te- cut my teeth. Yeah. Uh, in, in a bad time. Uh, so Everardo wants to know, what are some of the things you look for when you research a new market? I actually have not gone to a new market since I went to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason being is just, um, I truthfully, I just, I just haven't wanted to grow it in other, other markets. I don't want to deal yeah. with the headache. Um, you know, I, I, I was a part of a big business and building a biz, big business that went nationwide. And I just, I didn't want to do it with the wholesale industry uh, or the, the investment business because I just, I didn't want to be managing properties in other states. And, you know, I've got a wife and kids here. I'm not, I'm not looking to travel all the time and be gone. And um, I just look at it as if I can, if I can make the money that I want to make in Maricopa County and I can go to the office, you know, three or four days a week and do what I want to do. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking to be the, the biggest guy in the, in the nation by any means. Uh, and then he has a follow up question is how are you determining how much investors are willing to pay for properties? So I would say that 80 to 90% of our industry sells to the same five guys. So I kind of know their buy box. I know what they're going to pay for a property. Mm -hmm. My big thing is like, I want all my investors to come back for a second, third, fourth, fifth house. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of guys in the space and maybe not a lot, but there are guys in the space that are like, all right, I want to see how deep I could take this guy. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not me. I want, I want to make sure that my guys are always coming back. I mean, Elman, for instance, I think in a given year in 2017, they bought like 60 houses from me and I want to make sure they're making money on every deal. I want to make sure the deals work out. I mean, I've written checks after closings to pay for roofs because we didn't know the roofs were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll look at it as what do I think this price, this house is legitimately worth on the open market? What do I think it's going to cost to get it to that level? What is a reasonable return? All right, here's where we're going to price that property. And, gotcha. you know, there have been times where uh, I've been off and 15 people offer us above you know, what we wanted for it mm-hmm. and, you know, so be it. And then there's other times where it's like, all right, we got to bring it down 10 grand. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what is your favorite, best or most interesting failure? 
Most interesting failure. Um, we tried the short sale game for a while. Um, I, I don't know if I would say we failed at it. We didn't overly succeed at it. It was just because we didn't know what we were doing. Most people didn't. No, not at that uh, time. Yeah. And and I, I shouldn't have done it because I was so focused on the auction business at that time. And I looked at it as like, well, let's build out the short sale arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it didn't go well at all. And it just, if, if anything, the short sale business did okay, but it took away from the auction business. So that was, that was one of the bigger failures um, as far as real estate goes. You know, and I think that's a key point there. Not as far as short sales versus auctions, but there's, you know, right now, a lot of people that are listening to the show, right? They're wholesalers, entrepreneurial, right? Mm-hmm. You're not gonna be wholesaler if you're not entrepreneurial. Right. People overlook like, man, I'm gonna chase this other thing. I'm gonna go after this other, um, you know, distraction. Now you're gonna have, you know, harvest. Right. Fantastic distraction. Yeah. Right. But more often than not, yeah, they're 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 distractions like your short sales where they take away from your from main, main business bread and butter. Yeah. 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 But you know, one thing I would recommend to wholesalers is, is within real estate, at least try to find a way to build long-term wealth. And mm-hmm. that's what I think a lot of wholesalers don't realize today is that it's quick money, it's fast money, it's good money, but it's short money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like, you know, what I'm doing today, I wasn't doing in 15 and I wasn't doing in 12 and I wasn't doing in eight. And I would be willing to bet that in 2021 or 2022, this whole wholesale industry is going to be completely different than what it is today. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, recommend to people find a way to build your business to be sustainable to survive in any market and to, to actually build wealth because you know this is all short-term money it's all right. it's all tax at ordinary income and uh you know hopefully people are paying their taxes yeah um but yeah find a way within real estate to build long-term wealth yeah this is a very very high paying job yeah people kind of lose sight of that yeah uh sean wants to know what what are your requirements on your buy and hold on my buy and hold I do an equity spread, so um, I want a, a specific amount of equity in it. I look at my net return, so when I factor my rents, I uh, I don't I don't look at gross returns. You know, buy for hundred grand, thousand a month. I don't look at that as a twelve percent return. Um, I factor in internal cost of property management because I manage it internally. I look at property taxes, HOA. Uh, I do a uh, percentage for uh, renovations, not just going into it, but also holding back th- for future repairs. Um, and then obviously my the rental tax. So yeah. on my low end, depending on year built and equity, I have to be at 8.5% net. So after all expenses, I want to be at 8.5%. I also factor in depreciation because I look at it and I, so I factor depreciation into my formula too. Mm. Um, not just, Hey, what is this thing going to rent for? But how much am I going to be able to depreciate every year? Uh, what are the expenses that are going into it? So that's, that's how I look yeah. at it. I got a chance to meet Sean in, uh, in Mississippi a couple of weeks back. And I'll be honest, I'm a little jealous, you know, where they got in their situation, right? They're buying properties for like 50, 60 K yeah. that they're renting out for like eight, 900 bucks a month. Yeah. And I, I've, I've, I know guys that buy stuff in, uh, Indianapolis, um, yeah. same thing, much higher returns, but there's, there's not as big of an equity play. Um, no. and there's, they usually don't appreciate much. So it's like, yeah, you're buying it for 80 today, but it's probably gonna be worth 80 to 90 in three, four, five years. Right. I look at properties. I, I bought one this week in, in Mesa. Um, I paid 178 for it. It already had tenants in there. I'm getting 1450 a month. Um, but most of the recent comps are in the 245 range. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and say, well, yeah, I'm getting a lower return, but I'm also walking into 28% equity. Yeah. Uh, but then I buy other ones that, you know, I pay, you know, 90 to 144. Um, they're going to be much higher returns, but maybe smaller equity plays. So the gotcha. portfolio kind of balances it's a blend. out. Yeah. All right. Is there a book that you've gifted more than any other? 
Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Actually, you, I just started that this morning for the third time. Really? Yeah. I guess I really need to read it. You haven't read what, it? No. Ryan told me multiple times to, to read it. it. So what? What? Yeah. What is it about that book that's like just screams at you? The guy almost failed every single day for mm-hmm. a decade, and um, what I really liked about Shoe Dog is he did not set out to build Nike to be the biggest shoe company in the world. He just didn't know what he wanted to do in life. He found something that he enjoyed and he was passionate about, and he just kind of started doing it. Um, I like his philosophy on life a lot. You know, he he talks about you know going into situations where most people would probably be maybe not self-doubt, but worry and stress. And he would look at it and kind of question like, all right, well, what do I know? Like what's actually factual about this situation? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times uh, business owners will let their feelings and their mind get away from them and make decisions not based on reality, but what they perceive as reality. And so in that book, he was always very much like, what do I know? All right, it's a stressful situation, but what do I know? Um, So how he made decisions, and I I can't recommend that book enough. Shoe Dog is such a good book. Yeah, well, you mentioned that you were a survivor earlier, mm-hmm. so I can see why you like this book. Yeah, uh, Kevin wants to know if you had to start over, what would you do differently? In real estate or life? Probably in real, real estate, estate. You know, um, what would I do differently? I would have gone direct to seller in 2011-12. I would have started doing that a lot earlier. Um, I would have, you know, when I was... I think I was 21, so what year was that? 08, uh, I was meeting with my buddy's dad, and in Maryville at the time, a part of Phoenix, you could buy properties for 12 to 30 grand. And I was sitting with him, I'm like, listen, I, I, I know these are gonna be good deals one day. I know they're gonna rent w- really well. If we go out and we buy you know, 30 of these things, you're under a million dollars, and I just, I know it's gonna be good. Um, and he said no, and I didn't push for anybody else. I was just like, all right, man, if he, if he doesn't see it, I guess it's probably not a good opportunity. Yeah. Now that $30,000 house, a steal is 120. A yeah. steal is 120. Yeah. So I wish I would have pushed harder for buy and hold opportunities. I bought rentals in 2009, 10, 11, sold them all within a year or two. Um, should have kept all those. Um, so that's what I was talking about earlier. Like look for the long-term wealth play. Mm-hmm. Cause when I sold my rentals, it was like, I mean, I bought a, a two-bedroom townhouse in Tempe um, for like fifty-four thousand. I think they're worth two hundred today. Well, I sold it for seventy, and I'm like, I'm gonna make sixteen grand. I'm out. Yeah. You know? So build that long-term wealth because I made sixteen thousand. Eight of it went to taxes. So it's just it, you know, make long-term decisions. Go for the long play. So we got in February. Leon Johnson's gonna be here, and I watched him speak on stage. Um, he's doing half a half a mil per month passive. Hmm. Um, he's been doing real estate longer than we've been alive. Um, but one of the things he said, they're like, you know, what, what would you do differently? He's like, I never would have sold a property. Yeah. I wish I kept every, every single, single property. One. I had a lady bring me a deal the other day. Um, and she said, Hey, I think the house is worth 300. Would you pay 250 for it? And I go and look at it and I'm like, this looks familiar. I bought that house at auction for 99. <laughs> yeah. Eight years ago, 2011. I bought it for 99. Today it's a decent deal at 250 and it's worth 300. I think yeah. we sold it within three months for like 140. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so yeah, go long. Don't sell. Yeah, play the long game. All right. So I'm going to let you think about last thoughts, any kind of announcements you want to make. Uh, so guys, uh, I will be in two weeks in New Orleans with Chris Ruud for Skillathon. Uh, there's some really, really big names uh, speaking there. We got Ryan Suman, the hardcore closer. Uh, you got Coach Michael Burt, a really um, successful uh, coach uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs, not just you know real estate. 
Uh, so if you want to check that out, go to bit.ly slash 2019 skill. That's bit.ly slash 2019 skill. And then I'm going to be in DC in April uh, for Antoine Campbell's event for Drip. Um, and then I also, we still have our workshop coming up in the beginning of January. Uh, so Max and I, we're going to be going over a whole business. It's two and a half days where we're just going to go over everything we do for our business step by step where there will be no more questions about how we run our business. So if you want to make 2020 year year, go to disruptors.com, D-I-S-R-U-P-T-O-R-S.com to see if the workshop will make sense for you. And then uh, we're not going to be uh, on the show next week. It's Thanksgiving, uh, but we got Ryan Shalaba coming in two weeks. He needs to talk about how he's running his flip operation um, on a massive scale in Pittsburgh. And I watched him speak and it's just mind blowing how easy he's making flipping look. So with that, last thoughts. Last thoughts, read Shoe Dog, best book I've ever read, top five for sure. Uh, and then check out the, the data company, IVREdata.com. It's IVYREdata.com. Um, you know, it was built for real estate, um, really efficient, really good system. Um, and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> oh, if, so, if someone wants to get a hold of you, <laughs> how will they get a hold of you? <laughs> uh, email would be Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at IVYREtechTech.com or uh, shoot me a message on Facebook. All right, awesome. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you. Yep. Hopefully no one gets this episode taken down.